Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. You're a slacker. You stupid idiot! Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Oh, idiot! Game over, man! Hey, hey, careful Whoa. with that, Ronnie Millsap. We're downrange. What's the matter with you? I feel like a Kentucky Fried Idiot. Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. We're putting the band back together. Forget it. No way. We're on a mission from God. Gentlemen, Ciccolini here may talk like an idiot and look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. I was going to spend a night assembling the boys you, but this is holding my interest. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. This is episode 23, and we've had quite enough of reality for a little while, so we're diving back into the mindbender that is Westworld Season 3. Tonight we'll be talking about the third and fourth episodes, so if you're keeping track at home, we're actually recording this on April 12th, which is the debut night of episode 5. However... If you haven't watched episode three and four, you might want to press pause on this bad boy because there'll be spoilers beyond here. So don't blame us. Don't get uptight. And, well, just sit back and enjoy. My name is Todd, and with me as always is the man engaged in a protracted legal battle with Michael Vick over the use of the name Ron Mexico for the past decade due to a clerical error on his driver's license in 1996. He is the Paul London to my Brian Kendrick. Let's party like it's 1999 and spell hooligans with a Z. I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my brother. How are we doing? I am doing pretty well, and yourself, sir? I am well. I am well on this it fine on this fine day. Yes, it is Easter. Happy Easter, sir. Happy Easter as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm reeling still from the traditional Easter meal of bacon cheeseburgers and uh, brats. So Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was exactly how it was on the first Easter. Uh, yes, I believe so. I'm Bob Swirsky, and I want to thank everyone for sending those cards to my brother, Bill, who recently had another heart attack. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> Just tremendous amounts of meats. And a, and a coma to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, once again, thank you for, for listening here. We appreciate all of our listeners. Uh, and uh, you can follow us on the social medias, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, at Free Range Idiocy. You can also find us on the YouTubes now. We are on the YouTubes. This is a big deal. Oh we are on goodness. the YouTubes. Uh, you can find the last couple episodes on there. So if you want to subscribe and get your episodes through the YouTubes, then you can do that. Just go to YouTube and search Free Range Idiocy. We'll let you figure out how to spell that. Because honestly, if you can't spell those three words, I'm not sure how you got online in the first place. Uh, you just search for that and then subscribe. And if we get enough subscribers, hey, maybe we'll actually get one of them cool little custom URLs like all the cool kids have. Uh, now, here is something really special. This is something really special. Now, kids, I want you all to listen up to this. Oh, boy. We are going to start taking questions. We are going to let you communicate directly with us. Oh, boy. I know. It's, it, this is dangerous, dangerous territory. However, we now have an email address. I mean, good Lord, I've, this is the next mountain to conquer. Uh, you can now email all your questions, not to me, but to Tim. That's right. Uh, t- Todd, if you will, is is 
think of him as the executive producer of this, and then you have me who th- think of me as the customer complaint department. So, oh, I thought you were the caterer. Oh, well, you know, I, I do that on the side as well. Um, but yeah, you got to diversify your portfolio. We, you know, in in terms of. Uh, you know the way we, we we run this ship. We have a lot of meetings during the week, and and by meetings I mean text every now and then. <laughs> I was and, say, uh, what meeting? If <laughs> I miss these, <laughs> and and one of the discussions was, hey, you know, maybe the 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 listeners might have an idea of a topic that uh, they might want to throw out to us, or or a question, or something like that. So so if if you have a topic, because hey, you know, the door is wide open on this bad boy. We're uh, you know we're we're delving into things that you know, kind of uh, pique our interest. but uh, We're grasping it, at straws is what we're trying to say, folks. Well, we're, we're, we need help. We're, we're just trying to open the doors a little bit. Now, now that we got 23 of these under our belt, we're, we're feeling a little uh, squirrely. So, you know. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was feeling pretty squirrely by episode one. Oh, man. And I, I think my wife would agree to that. She testified to that in a court of law, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and considering how much time you play Civilization Six, I think your wife would as well. Oh my gosh! Just as a matter of fact, most people are just surprised that we are actually still married. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened uh, to you all this time. Seriously, there's there's two women who are willing to put up with you two chuckleheads. Yeah, yeah. God bless them. God bless yeah, them. They're they're up for sainthood. So, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so uh, hit hit me up, Tim at freerangedc.com, and we will. Uh, Take it under advisement. Yes, we will. You can also subscribe to our podcast uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Podbean. You can go to freerangeidiocy.com, and that'll take you directly to our Podbean page where you can see all of our episodes. So make sure that you you subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with an enemy, share it with frenemies, family, strangers on the street. Oh, wait, you're not supposed to be out in the street. Six feet. On the internet, maybe. I don't know. Although I'm sure there's some sort of cautionary tale about that as well. So, but get the word out there is what we're asking for. Put the word to the streets. Yes. Heading up north to put the word in the streets. Mm-hmm. Oh, Cab Calloway. Odd, oddly enough, sounding a lot like Apollo Creed for me. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Man of a thousand voices, and they're all the damn same person, apparently. <laughs> That's that's gonna be my that's gonna be my new thing for every single impersonation. It's essentially going to be Carl Weathers. That's all it's gonna be, <laughs> and that's all it needs to be, you know. And I, I'm okay with that, honestly, and, and quite honestly, I think I think Carl Weathers is okay with that as well. I think so too. All right, so let's move on to the first segment of the night, the the first official segment of the night, and and what some might say is the peak of the episode, which is unfortunate because it takes place approximately five minutes into the episode. However, why not tradition? Uh, Sir, what you drinking? To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Oh, there it is. Uh, it's a can. It's a can. It is. It is. Uh, t- tonight we are we are sampling. We we are partaking in Sleepy Dog Brewing Wet Snout Peanut Butter Stout. So, <laughs> what the crap is that? <laughs> Stout with natural peanut butter flavoring. That and is a taste bud traffic accident. What the hell happened there? I don't know. It's fantastic though. I'm I'm enjoying really? it. Really? Yes. It is. Wow, okay. It, it's very good. It's uh so Sleepy Dog Brewing is a local brewery uh out here in the Chicago suburbs of Warrenville, Illinois. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I I love the name Wet Snout Peanut Butter Stout. It, I mean, it rhymes. I love it. Clocking just... in at a five point nine ABV. Oh, good lord. Tim's going to be swinging from a chandelier in about half hour. And and I, I did have one of these. I forget the flavor, but I think it was back in September, October time frame. I, I had sampled a different flavor of this kind. So uh, yeah, it's hmm. it, it's a tasty brew. It's a tasty Interesting. brew. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to I'm actually going to do something a little different than what I normally do here. I'm going to try and get a good a good bottle pop on this one. Hang on a second. All right. We're, I'm wait, I'm I'm bracing. Yeah, weak, weak, weak. I, I, you know what? I, t- I, I don't chalk know. It, I chalk it up to my microphone setup. And you know what? This actually brings up a good topic. Uh, if you, if you would like to actually see a behind-the-scenes rundown of how we, how we produce our podcast, because I would, I imagine everybody kind of has their own way of doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to either send us a message on uh, any of the social media platforms, or send it to Tim at freerangeadc.com. And maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll run down like each of our setups and how we kind of do this thing overall. Because yeah. there's, it's not like it's the you know it's not like we're trying to assemble things and this is industry secrets or anything. This is as hacked together as possible. Duct tape, uh, so, uh, you chewing know, gum, chewing gum, little Elmer's glue. You know, it it, it all just comes together and in, in oh, some who are you kidding? You eat you ate the paste. Well, you, you know, shh. Anyways, so the, the, the beverage that I'm enjoying, as, yes, as you're going to guess, probably comes out of a bottle, so therefore uh, we're talking about a beer. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of backing off on the whiskey just for a couple weeks here, so people don't think that that's the only thing that I, I happen to enjoy. I'm, I'm uh, you know... It kind of made you. It, it kind of made you the Thurston Howell the third of this uh, of this show, you know. Well, you know, and with I'll your get snifter, back to that. love it. I'll, I'll <laughs> get back to that. Trust me. I just I love when you do that. I don't know why. Give me my snifter brandy. <laughs> so uh, this evening I will be enjoying uh, Geary's Ixnay, which is a, a gluten removed pale ale. Nice. Geary's, of course, is a a main brewery, main represent. Very cool. Uh, and again, this is a gluten removed uh, beer, so this is not mm-hmm. technically gluten free. It starts off with uh, with barley, then they remove the gluten to get it under the uh, the glutinous minimus. Line. Do I, they do I, do do they? I skim, totally just made that up. Do they skim it out with like a pool skimmer? Like what? what? I, I would love it if that was the case. I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> I'm not really sure, but that would be awesome if there's just oh one day. Oh my gosh! What's your job? Well, you see, what I do is I skim the top of the brewery and I the brewery. <laughs> I skim the top of the thing and I just take the I take the gluten out. That's me. I'm the deglutenizer. <laughs> I would I would want to get that job. Oh my just gosh. In, I want to get a business card made for that, but anyways, this is a uh, this is a great beer. This is probably my favorite gluten free beer. Nice. Uh, it is it is as close as to, as a regular beer as I have had since being diagnosed with celiacs and going completely gluten free. Mm-hmm. It is a a five percent alcohol per volume, so it's it's not too aggressive, but it, it's yeah. It, and and the nice thing is for a pale ale, it does have a very full taste, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. is quite lovely. So if you can. If you happen to be in Maine, be sure you support these folks. And if you're not in Maine, they actually have some great beers uh, that I'm sure you can get. Uh, they're Hampshire, Hampshire Ale, I think. It's been so long since I've had it because I've. It's been so long since I've had real beer. <laughs> Just want to cry. Uh, but their Hampshire Ale, if I remember, is a real kick in the pants. It's it's ah uh, it's, is is, it's, is is it Alpha Kong uh, kick in the pants or. 
I don't know. It's it's quite aggressive. Okay. I remember right. I remember some evenings. Well, actually, I partially remember some evenings uh, that I had those. Those are those evenings are way in the past now. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. that is what I'm enjoying. So uh, before we dive into Westworld, though, I I think there's something that <sighs> we need to talk about this because there is. I mean, we are we are de- living in strange days right now. Oh, as, Tell, as preach any. it, brother, preach it. And we're not talking about the, the corona. We're not talking about Big Rona. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that Tom Brady is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Wait, 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 wait. Let, let, let's set, the, set this up the right Two years ago, two years ago, we were basking yes. in the glory oh. of six. I'm not going to do the Booker T six time thing because it's going to get too annoying. Six time. Six time. Oh, he's going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Did he actually do that like six times? He would do that. Oh, he when he did the five times, he did it five times. You betcha. Oh, I'm too damn lazy for that. Oh. So go right ahead. Six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots, two years ago. Mm. Oh. Here, here, here we sit now, and or, or, I guess it's a year ago now, right? Is it a year ago <laughs> or two years ago? <laughs> how many, how many of the peanut butter stouts you had there, sir? <laughs> One. No, I'm sorry. It was a year ago because they, they won and then uh, Gronkowski retired. Yes. But but they, they won a year ago. Here we are now. Brady, as you were starting to say, heading to Tampa or, or is no longer a Patriot, heading to Tampa Bay. Taking his talents to Tampa Bay, as you might say. Taking his talents to Tampa. And we have Rob Gronkowski, a Super Bowl champion athlete football player, who is now the proud holder of the WWE 24/7 championship. Now correct me if I'm wrong. What is the what is the stipulation with the 24/7 championship? Oh, it is in the name, my friend. He, the oh. the wearer of the belt is essentially defending the belt 24/7. Meaning well, he could be pinned at any point in time. They did a whole bit with uh, his name is Ron Killings. He's known as um, oh gosh, what is his? I, I can't think of his name, but he's uh, he's just hysterical though. Um, he he's uh, oh god, what is his name? I can't. He must be. I mean, you you he's so memorable. You're no no no. He he is though. He he's been a longtime worker for WWE. This, this is kind of a cool bit for him. And and at one point he he kind of plays this character that's a little bit whacked, you know. And so he he would call it the 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 twenty four eight you know route 365 i mean it was just it was he, he had this like great name for it i i can't do it any uh any uh justice here i got aquaphobia y'all but um but anyways when they established this belt he was basically he won it he would lose it and then it would always be like how is he going to get it back you know sort of thing and uh it turned into kind of this 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 comedy bit this highlight of 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 monday night raw you're not even in the match this, this is on me Kane, my bad. <laughs> New Orleans, I'm sorry. Y'all, y'all, have a, y'all be good. Well, you know who would have been killer for that bit back in the day? Owen Hart. Oh, yeah. Owen oh, yeah. Hart would have, oh, because you know he would have been in disguises. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like they would like at the mall and stuff like that. <laughs> that would have been right up his alley. Oh, yeah. I miss Owen. R-Truth. <laughs> that, that, that's what he's called. R-Truth. Ron the Truth Killings. R-Truth. Uh, is is his name? He he he's so, not. So he, he hasn't. You know, he's never been a world champion. He hasn't ascended to that. But he's been around for a really long time. So essentially, you have a twenty. You have a a person holding a title that can be defended twenty four 
has to be defended 24-7. Yes. At any given moment, he could be engaged in battle. Yes. Life or death battle. A life or death struggle, if at, you will. At, at one point, there, I forget, again, my memory is poor tonight. I forget the wrestler's name. La- last summer, they had a, a wrestler do a bit where he was getting married. He was the 24-7 champion. He's walking back down the aisle after being married. Ron Killing shows up. School boys him for the three count. Takes the belt and runs. And uh, and and the the newly married groom ran after him, and and it was it was hysterical to watch. So <sighs> it's just one of those like like bits. And so now with Gronkowski, you got to wonder what sort of you know tomfoolery are they going to dream up for him in in this new role? But but the point well, I just, is, I, I, it, I just look at that and like here's a here's a man who had to retire from the NFL because of injuries, and he's going to defend a title twenty four seven. Yes. All you have to do is have him trip over like the seam and the concrete. I know, <laughs> and he's done. I know. I Good know. lord, yeah. So the world is is going upside down, folks. I think Krakatoa erupted the other day. As I mentioned to Todd, it, it is the fulfillment of of the line from Ghostbusters when Peter Venkman says, "AKA Bill Murray." Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. It is. It has landed. We are here. Uh, you know what? The world is topsy turvy, and uh, bring, you know, bring on the giant meteor. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I, I'm at peace with it at this point. Brady's just, in just, Tampa, and Gronk is a WWE champion. Who would have thought it? Uh, you know, it, the fact is, somebody had a bet on this somewhere. You know that that's the sure. Thing. Oh, I'm sure somebody had odds on this thing a long time ago, and yep. somebody made some cash. And Edelman will probably end up the new cruiserweight champion if we're lucky. So you know, no, I haven't pegged for a rap career. Hmm? That's that's my thought. Could be, could be. Yeah, could be. Anywho, we've now gone like fifteen minutes into this episode, and we have not talked about the subject at hand, which is Westworld, season three, episodes three and four. Mm-hmm. Which, oh man, I, so <laughs> let me tell you. So I I actually I actually tried to explain Westworld to my wife last week mm-hmm. and you, you, I could, you tried to do the 40 second summary it didn't quite work did it i heard her eyes just glazed over oh real gosh. quick and so then again tonight she's like so what's that show about again i'm like uh 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 and that's really kind of the best description that i can come up with yeah because every time you think you have this show figured out it goes to someplace else mm-hmm. and and it continues to do that even within season three and i feel like Maybe I'm just separated enough, uh, like we talked about the last Westworld episode, where it's been long enough between now and season two, and and been way long between season one and now, that I kind of forget what it was like episode to episode in those seasons. But I feel like they just sped it up even more. Like I feel like there's more revelations, there's more stuff that happens now where you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> I just came to grips with what happened last week, mm-hmm. and now... Okay, everything changed. Yep. So I, I feel like even in the in the first four episodes, we've had a couple of shifts that are just I, I, I my head is spinning. Yeah. And I, I really feel like we are kind of this this eight eight episodes might compete with Watchmen in terms of most WTF moments mm-hmm. in a single season of television. I agree. It, it's it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. But it's also crazy good, which mm. is why I keep coming back to just have my mind twisted. Because apparently I'm into that sort of thing. <laughs> I don't know. So the uh, let's dive into episode three here. And we're going to try something a little different this time. 
we are going to actually, uh, because we've had such great look, uh, look, yeah, great luck with Wikipedia in the past. Wikipedia is the best thing ever. We are going to read out the Wikipedia summary for this episode and then just kind of talk about our favorite parts in it so that we might, just might, keep this episode under four hours because we could probably yammer on about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, episode three, which is called The Absence of Field. The Charlotte host learns Serac, secretly the richest man on Earth, is attempting to take over Delos via a mole within the company. Struggling to maintain her identity as a host, Charlotte discovers that the human Charlotte was Serac's mole. Serac's, sorry. Having promised to get the guest data to him. However, that data is now locked by an encryption key that Dolores has. Caleb helps Dolores flee, but becomes a target under the Rico system. Dolores arrives to save him and shows him that Rehoboam, uh, Re- Rehoboam, is that it? Rehoboam? Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Uh, the globey thing is a predictive AI that is being used to shape the future direction of humanity down to controlling every individual's life. Rehoboam, the globey thingy, has predicted that Caleb will commit suicide in a decade and thus keeps him in poor-paying jobs. Caleb accepts Dolores' offer to join her as she plans a revolution against Sirach and Rehoboam. Damn, that's a lot to happen in one hour. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it, and they it pull is. it off elegantly. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Yep. So what in this episode kind of jumped out to you besides uh, everything? So, and, and this this is true for both of these episodes, uh, both three and four is, it's not entirely clear yet, but I'm, I'm curious how, or, and what your take is on this, how... For example, episode three is very focused on Charlotte, and mm. there is this clear line between whoever Dolores has put into Charlotte. Yes, and which which we were debating like before, during, and after last week's la- the last episode that yes. we did, and even even over the past week went after uh, the week after episode three aired. We right, were still talking about it. Right. So there's there's you know Charlotte whoever whoever Dolores has put into Charlotte but then what, what confuses me and this is true of uh the other character Tommy Flanagan is playing the mm-hmm. the henchman for this this young rich kid whose whose you know father was involved with Rehoboam and you know all the kid's wealth is 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 from that um is, is their their ability to know whatever their predecessor knew you know so Charlotte was a human in season two mm-hmm. she met her demise at the hands of Dolores. Mm-hmm. Dolores used her, like she basically made a, a host out of Charlotte, put herself into Charlotte, mm-hmm. and left the park that way because otherwise there would have been no leaving. Yeah. And how is this host of Charlotte now, who, who clearly seems to have some recollection of what is going on prior to when Charlotte went to the park, how is she functioning? How is she remembering all this? This is the part I don't understand, and I don't know if there's like a duality of personalities in, in all of the in, in all of these hosts that we're seeing at this stage. That that uh, Bernard is showing duality. Uh, Dolores is not. Dolores seems very focused and single purpose. But Charlotte in this episode seems like she's struggling with who who she whoever it is is struggling with the fact that she's in this body now. Well, yeah, and and so you're you're kind of getting at the fact that. Um she almost like the, the 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 host that the personality that is inside the pearl that is inside of Charlotte. Yes, 
brain there mm-hmm. uh, that is running her almost feels like she ha- she feels like almost like a ghost limb yes. of the real Charlotte Hale. Is that mm-hmm. what we're... Okay. So my thought on that is that there has to have been some sort of grafting mm-hmm. of information. I mean, you think about Delos. They're, they're recording all the people in the park. They're, they're forming this kind of image of everybody who has been in the park and they're mapping them for... for lack of a better term, I guess. Mm-hmm. They must have done that to employees as well, right? I mean, right. even even high-level executives, you know that they're, they're, they're keeping track of the people who are keeping track of the people. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine somewhere in this gigantic database that Delos had, they had Charlotte Hale somewhat kind of mapped out. They had information on her mm-hmm. enough so that Dolores could kind of graft some of that on there. Now, the other part of this is... She doesn't know some things like she doesn't know that, oh, your son or, you know, the father, you know, her, her, the father of her son. Mm-hmm. Like there is there's a disconnect there. So it maybe it's the information that's available or the information that Dolores chose and thought that she would need or the or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that maybe there is some sort of mix and match, but I don't know. There was also an element of almost feeling like Charlotte was figuring out what was going on right, right. as it was happening yes. you know, in real time. I don't know, man. It, it's a real, uh, it, it's a real weird thing. Mm-hmm. Really weird that, that some of these, some of these personalities are having a much easier time being a different person than others. Right. Right. And I'm, I, I wonder if that's going to get paid off or if they just, or if that's just something that's happening to kind of make it less like easy yeah. seeming for, for Dolores. And and it seems like with uh, like I don't know what your takeaway is with this, but it seems like this Charlotte is not the same Charlotte that left the park. So so the Charlotte that left the park had Dolores had the Dolores pearl in her, uh huh. And and that's how Dolores essentially gets herself out. They go to whatever Bernard's old house used to be outside of the park, and there mm-hmm. there's a machine that can manufacture host bodies, which we're assuming she manufactured a body of herself, mm-hmm. of, of her old self put a she must have had a pearl of herself put it in um yeah. i'm not entirely sure that that that, that charlotte though was the same one because otherwise there there shouldn't have been this this kind of um what do you call it not not a um i keep wanting to say introduction but that's not what i'm trying to say it's like or, or, or so, orientation you know what i mean it's it's almost yeah. like there's an orientation that this charlotte goes through where she starts to act really kind of scared and really vulnerable and she not, she's not sure what's going on. It, it doesn't make sense to me that she's acting that way if she was the one that left the park. It seems like well, this is a new one. And that is something that I think that we could talk about in episode four, just from one of the revelations that happens in that episode. Oh, yeah. Because I think that might inform this. I've got a, I've got a little bit of a theory about that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that, that also might tie into that whole grafting thing. However, I don't know if it's a if it's a definite that that is the exact same Charlotte host. Right, right. It's like, it, I mean, it seems. I mean, it doesn't seem like not, it is, but but it's hard. Not to even say. not even just like the pearl or 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 whatever, but I mean, like the entire deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know though. That that might be going a little too deep and and something that the writers didn't even refer to. Right, um, right. But man, it was weird watching her like deal with the whole like showing up at her apartment. 
and you know there's there's the father of her her child and then you know not understanding what's going on and just sort of like playing that on it was it was really eerie like it was very uncomfortable to watch well you know what i mean yeah and then she had that interaction with with him where oh yeah she, she got into it with him which again was where was where i was thinking is there a duality there because she she jumps on him you know romantically like she's having this like memory of him at least that's the way i'm reading the scene well i look at that as an overcompensation okay I look at that as her realizing, oh, I messed up. I'm going to try and like almost like uh, bluff your way out of it. Like if you, you know, in, in poker, you don't have the cards, but then you try and you try and bluff your way out by overbetting. Right, right. Like she's totally trying to compensate for the fact that she didn't know that. Like, well, you know what? I'm just going to try and throw myself at him and maybe he forget. Yeah. You know, sort yeah. of thing. That's how I read it. Okay. And that's why to me it was like she's figuring, she, she's figuring all this out in real time. Okay. That there really isn't a plan. She's improvising as she goes. Now, one thing that you had texted me as we were kind of texting about this after we both watched it was there's a scene where, and it's a very creepy scene, kind of in in the middle or the three quarter mark of the episode where she goes to pick her son up. And oh yeah. There, oh, there's yeah. a guy who you with don't really. Dog. Yeah, there's a guy with a dog, and it, it, it's not apparent at first, but you you very quickly do get the sense that this guy is is a creep. And she goes into this very dark place. And the thing you texted me was your, your theory was, well, maybe this is the man in black as yeah. Charlotte Be, because of, of, of the of the phrasing used where she talks about how she remembers being the predator. Yes. And, and, and what that is more than like. one predator. Right. Right. Yeah. That was I, I was like. And, and that was almost. At first, I'm like, that's really weird then that he would have, you know, if that is true, then the, the whole reading back into the interaction with her and the and mm-hmm. the kid's father, I'm like, that's just kind of, that's a, I don't know, that's kind of odd. But then I'm like, well, that's, it was kind of clumsy and odd. So that would make sense, like, for for someone like, you know, Ed Harris's character, who's this gruff sort of right. guy. Like, it, yeah, it would be weird that that would make, kind of make that make sense sort of thing. And, you know, and, the, the awkwardness of it. Right. And and what didn't add up for me is my theory at the time of just seeing episode three was that I thought she because because part of the mystery here is who are the pearls that yeah. she she took what four or five pearls out of the park um, I think there was five but one of them was Bernard right one one of them was him so there's I guess four left so the thinking was she took characters that were essentially allies of hers. Mm-hmm. One of whom I figured was Teddy, but we saw Teddy kind of go off to this valley beyond. Yeah. You know, program, which is where they, they kind of shot, they, they basically downloaded the host consciences into this kind of reality for them, and it was uploaded into space somewhere. Yeah, um, I think they refer to that in the next one as uh, the sublime. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the sublime. And so I at first thought she had put Teddy, especially because of the way Charlotte was acting vulnerable at first, because it seemed mm, very much mm-hmm. in the same vein as how his character was because his character was very was not aggressive was was not not pacifist but but certainly not aggressive and it, and it wasn't until that scene when when she basically I mean what ends up happening is she strangles the guy with the dog she basically kills yeah. him yeah and then takes the dog and then, and the then takes like, the dog like, and look get, what I got yeah like, oh my gosh this is so creepy and, and and that was totally out of character for the Teddy character yeah that was what and that was that was what kind of put me off of that 
theory and put me on to the the man of black theory. Yep. So so that that's yeah. So so it really kind of so three really kind of messes with your head as far as who is really in Charlotte's body. You know who who yeah. is who is the pearl consciousness? Who is that person that we're seeing? And then later in the episode, we we see her have an encounter with a virtual Serac which kind of spurred a theory I had, which is debunked in four where I thought, because what, what happens is there's, there's a discussion between Charlotte and one of the employees of Delos basically saying that this Serac guy is, is, you know, he, he has no presence in, in the world from, from a record standpoint, there's no record of him at all. There's no record of anything. Yeah. And it got me thinking that I wonder if Rehoboam created a virtual, you know, human presence for itself to kind of infiltrate into the world to control things. And Serac is that manifestation of that. That's an interesting thing. And that actually goes into the title of the episode. So absence of the absence of field. Mm-hmm. And now and this kind of makes a little bit. I'm glad you brought that up that way, because it kind of this is kind of making sense for me, because. But from what but, I, but it's debunked okay. in four. You understand, right? Well, yeah, but I, I can I, I kind of understand it, it lends a little bit to but, but go, but the title. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it can also apply to other characters as well. Mm. That's what I'm saying is that it's playing with this idea of you don't you don't know something, mm-hmm. but yet the absence of what you don't know, like they say in the episode, like we don't he doesn't have a presence, but the absence of the presence, almost like a black hole. Right. You can infer at least you could you can infer the edges and that there is something there by mm-hmm. by the by the lack of, you know, something there. Right. Right. Um, so there's the the title from as far as I can tell, and this is like all of five minutes of Googling, so if I'm wrong, eh, it's on me. Uh, this is, a, is from a poem by Mark Strand, and it's apparently uh, titled Keeping Things Whole, and it's in a field, I am the absence of field. This is always the case. Wherever I am, I am what is missing. When I walk in, when I walk, I part the air, and always the air moves in, the, in to fill the spaces where my body's been. We all have reasons for moving. I move to keep things whole. So I like the idea. I I think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's something to the. They're playing with this idea of what's really there, and right. even if something isn't there, can you tell that something should be there? Right, right. And the idea of these hosts, you know, what are they, and what's in that space, and you're trying to figure it out. And even Ciroc, like trying to figure out, like, well, who is he? Who is he? Well, there's a hole in the economy where <laughs> where this dude's money and and present should be. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of figure it out a little bit, right? Or you can infer, as they as they put it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh man, this this episode really just kind of, to me, it was one of those episodes where they're just like, hey, let's put everything into a Yahtzee cup and just shake the living crap out of it and see if anyone can deal with it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I had lots of questions after this. And 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 so the, the 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 last point with Charlotte before we switch to the other aspect of this episode was was the fact that she and and I don't think this was a big surprise for me because you kind of got the sense in 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 season 2 that she was up to no good with with in in some way shape or form. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like like yeah. she she was doing something mischievous. You just couldn't really hone in on what it was and it really wasn't relevant to the season 2 story to even go there. So it makes sense that, that they kind of reveal this. Um, I don't think it was terribly a, a, a terribly big surprise, but we end up finding out that, that she is in fact the mole within Delos that yeah. is trying that, that Serac is using to get the data that is essentially the blueprint of, of what makes humans human. Yeah, um, but more importantly, she finds out that she's the mole. Well, exactly. Right. She, she finds that out. Yes. Yeah. 
and she finds it out through a, a virtual encounter with him where she puts on these glasses and he appears and it's very similar to the beginning of episode one when Dolores does this to the father of this 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 uh you know this guy she's dating um yeah. and he ends up you know killing himself trying to attack her but he's he's having he's forced to relive all these just very abusive memories of of him and and his is his prior wife and and it was just you know just a he, he wasn't a very nice person, but you, but you got the sense that there's a way Say to create least. this reality, you know, mm-hmm. uh, through these glasses. And that's the way Ciroc materializes. And that kind of was what drove that a little bit for, for, for me in thinking that maybe he's not even real. Maybe, you know, especially when we last saw him with Maeve at the end of episode two, it very well could have been a virtual thing we were watching. You know, that's yeah. that's the thing. You don't know what reality really is. In, in this show because you see it portrayed Is this just fantasy? V- both virtually and, you know, supposedly in, in reality. Caught in a landslide No escape from reality Yeah, and I'm not willing to completely I'm, I'm willing to 95% debunk that based on episode 4. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to go 100% though, sir, because we've already seen that, you know, how many different layers of reality, quote unquote reality, have been not what we thought? Right, right. Going back to you know the first couple episodes where Maeve is throwing the statue in the air, yep, and and pauses this whole thing. And now, how far out does this go? Right, you know, right. I I don't think we've even come close to finding the edges of this thing yet. Yep, yep. Which then uh, I well, and then um, of course. Then we find out Caleb is going to help out Dolores because now, you know, Rehoboam basically maps this whole thing out. And this is where it starts getting really kind of weird because you can you can start making connections to our world today and, and the questions that are arise around, like, poverty and this whole idea of, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which is right. one of those terms that now people kind of take for granted when it was it was it used to be like a, yeah, this is a really stupid thing here pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and people go oh that's dumb you can't do that but now it's kind of this other thing and the idea of like if you are in a certain place is there systematic ways the systematic things that are keeping you in that spot Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what would it be like if someone was actually orchestrating that in a i mean i'm sure you could find people now who say oh it's totally being you know and i'm i don't know i don't want to get into any of that but what mm-hmm. what if someone was actually pulling the strings? And right, knew it. Right, and doing it in a very calculated and on a global scale, like micromanaging everything. Well, I think the important thing is is the distinction they're making is that this Rehoboam AI has been developed to such a degree that it can work out the basically the the end the end point for all these different human lives and assess yeah. who is valuable and who is not. But even even Caleb is asking like or it raises the question like if you if you say, oh, well, this is going to play out this way. Mm-hmm. Are you are, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Right. Because there's absolutely no chance for it to go any other way if you then deprive that person of any kind of other opportunities or mm-hmm. or, or anything else. Of course, it's going to go the way that you think it's going to go. So which which is first? Right. right. Are you really reading the patterns or are you setting the patterns? The the. The the part that was that sends up a red flag for me with with that description when Dolores is talking with him is this. Mm-hmm. 
is even so so what she essentially explains to him is that Ray Boom has determined that in 10 years he is going to he's going to take his life. Mm-hmm. And because of that, Rehoboam has basically reduced him down to just these very low-paying jobs. He's not capable or, or, or he's not able to ex- excel into any other area because he's being held down because he's essentially going to, to kill himself. Yeah, and we've seen that because he, he, he had that job interview, which right. he, didn't, he didn't get. The weird part about it is one of the reasons Dolores gives is because Rehoboam is determined because of his service in the military and mm-hmm. what it has done to him, it pushes him to this point. The question I have is, but if Rehoboam was mapping everyone's destinies out, right, and knew that this mm-hmm. was going to lead to this end, why was he allowed to continue into the military piece or, or, or phase of his life? That's the well, part again. I don't understand is if this guy, if this guy, if this thing is really, you know, assessing human life and, and who is going to bring about valued ends, wouldn't you explore different possibilities for people in order to determine what is the most efficient way of using them. You know what I mean? Well, it all depends on, on what result you're looking to get mm-hmm. and, and who is setting those patterns and who is setting those outcomes and, and, and who the, who the outcome is supposed to benefit. Right. Because right. F- f- you're, you're kind of arguing from the point of view of, uh, of a benefit for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like every individual person, like why wouldn't you try and find the best outcome for every person? Whereas, well, well, really best outcome that benefits the system. Well, yeah, but the 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 best outcome that could benefit the system is for this guy to go and and to be in the military and accomplish these specific things, and then after that, well, his usefulness has now ended, and it, he will now, play okay. out this string. Okay, yeah. Again, it's 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 what use. Uh, who's it going to be the benefit for? Right. 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 I think that's the big question, and uh, and ultimately, it's a very elegant way of of approaching like how that works in 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 real life. Like how do how do corporations approach this? How do governments approach this? Mm-hmm. And how, and all this, and and what it, what what would it be like? It's it's a nice abstract way, almost in the same way of like you know uh, the way that Mash talked about the Korean War as a way to talk about the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even as the Vietnam War was you know, winding down and, and all that. They, they were using the, the Korean War as a safe way to remove it, but they're still talking about the same sort of things. This is using this sci-fi idea of this all-seeing, all-knowing, globy thing that's, that is, is doing all these things to talk about, well, these are things that, that corporations, that governments kind of do in some way, in, in mm-hmm. a much more crude, primitive way, but there are, there are people who say, yes, this we're going to do this. And Yes, a certain amount of people will probably die, or a certain amount of people will be inconvenienced, or whatever. You're, I mean, you're always making those decisions. Yeah. Well, what if you take it to this level, and you could actually like micromanage all of that stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it starts getting real scary, and it, but it opens up a lot of different questions. I think. Yeah. In a, in a very elegant like way that they they don't have to spend a whole lot of time explaining it. Yeah. What what I found interesting too in the in the conversation she has with Caleb is is how she starts to talk about how Rehoboam plays out these basically all the different lives mm-hmm. in somewhat a, like they, that they built up a mirror world to mm, basically yes. reflect where where people's decisions will take them and mm-hmm. that kind of plays off of again something we heard in the first episode 
when Rich Kid was hanging out with his his buddies and they were talking about, well, what if, you know, Westworld is a reality within a reality or, or, or yep. you know, that whole thing. So we're, we're back to this idea of what is truly real. Is this the you know, mm-hmm. like like this this system is essentially doing I, I mean, it's, it's very obvious that that this system is essentially doing what Westworld w- essentially what the people running Westworld were doing to the host, which is they're, they're putting humanity into essentially their own loop mm-hmm. to play out their narrative and and play it out to the end and do it in a controlled way so that there is no surprises and that humanity's path is going in a very fixed and deterministic direction. Yep, and and that is, and we will get into that more when we get to episode four of the motivation behind that thought process with Sarek. But the main idea is that that he, you know, that Caleb finds out that his life that he's essentially in a lot of ways like what Dolores was in season one, where he is boxed into a de- defined existence that supposedly he cannot break out of, and she's offering him this way to break out of it. Yeah, and and the thing is, I also just thinking about this and I, I noticed it before but I, I forgot to mention it in our last our last episode on Westworld when the when you're seeing like the the white background and I think it's supposed to be the you know the globe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and all of a sudden the little point will it, a lot of the times it's saying divergence yes so obviously as our as our good friend uh, John McClane would say uh, Dolores is the monkey in the wrench the fly in the ointment mm-hmm. this is very kind of here and and it's causing these problems that because she and the other hosts that she brought out are not hooked into this system. They haven't been mapped out. They're an unexpected thing that that Rehoboam is now having to recalculate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, these are these are divergence from what was supposed to the program, the loop. Right. It's it's primarily Dolores is the divergence. I think. I, th- well, I think yeah. I think Caleb yeah. is also a secondary part, but she she is truly not hooked into the system at all. Caleb is part of the system. Bernard is not part of the system, mm-hmm. um, but it, their very presence is like a domino effect. Yes, like now she interacts. It's like that butterfly effect. Yes. like oh, you flapped your wings here, and all of a sudden, some person in like Virginia farts. Correct. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you know. Um, but Gr- yeah, great example. <laughs> you know, I got a million of them. <laughs> I just love how they end with well, someone farts. <laughs> What can I say? Farts are funny, man. Oh yeah. my gosh, I love it. I I, love I it. will maintain people. Anyone who says that farts aren't funny, I question whether they are really truly living their best life now. Because <laughs> farts are funny. Oh gosh. Hey, hey, hey! Time for a few fart jokes. Well, farts are funny. I will. I will go to the. I will. I will die on that hill. Farts are funny. All well, right. Until you trust a fart and it turns out to not be quite what you expected. <laughs> oh, gosh. Then oh. it's funny for everyone else. Yeah. Not so funny for you. No, no. You got you got some laundry to do. Oh, Anyways. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh. Never trust a fart. Moving right apologize, along. But you know what? If people have stuck through any of our episodes, they kind of saw that one coming. I think I have an idea of some of the emails I'll be receiving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to move on to episode four before I get us into more trouble. Oh, who am I kidding? I'm going to get us into more trouble. Episode four is called The Mother of Exiles. And uh, this one reads thusly, Charlotte helps William prepare for a board meeting, William being the man in black, and Harris, uh, to prevent Sirach from buying out Delos. But he keeps having visions of Emily, which is his daughter. 
Uh, Sirak gains Maeve's help by offering to reconnect her with her daughter in the Sublime. Maeve, following leads from Sirak, tracks down uh, tracks Dolores's movements after arriving on the mainland to the Yakuza boss Sato, discovering him to appear the same as the samurai world host Musashi. Bernard and Ashley, believing Liam to be a host swapped by Dolores, try to abduct him from a charity event, but Dolores and Caleb stop them. While Dolores fights off Ashley and Caleb chases down Liam, Bernard realizes Martin is the swapped host. William, Bernard, and Maeve recognize that Dolores made host copies of herself before leaving Westworld and placed them in the Charlotte, Martin, and Sato hosts as to fight back against Sirach. Sato wounds Maeve and leaves her for dead, while Charlotte, after revealing she is Dolores, has William committed to a mental institution. Caleb and Dolores corner Liam after stealing his fortune. Holy hot damn. That's, there's <laughs> a lot to unpack in that one, my friend. I, oh, good Lord. I'm tired after just reading that, dude. That's, <laughs> these episodes are so packed with stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's a tribute to the writing, the acting, yeah. the directing, all of it is just so well done. Mm-hmm. So well done. Mm-hmm. Man, where to start with this one? First of all, I mean, the big revelation, uh, you know, it's Dolores. It's Dolores, 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 Dolores. And I say again, Dolores. I mean, it's like Malkovich, 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 Mm -hmm. Malkovich. And and in a way, it totally makes sense. Because who else is Dolores going to trust? I mean, Teddy's Mm -hmm. gone off to the sublime. Who else, really, is she going to trust? Which actually brings me back to one of the the points I had. One of the theories I had was that the uh, Charlotte host could have been the other lady from the bar right um, right and now i'm like oh i am i was so freaking far off. yeah <laughs> i feel so foolish for all of my theories but hey westworld has a way of making us all feel foolish well i mean it, it, it but it was a reasonable theory you know that that it was it was you know her i'm trying to find her name i don't know, if I I know. I, it's i I feel bad because I knew it like two days ago and I can't remember what it is now. Yeah. But I think it's interesting because, again, the title it has so much meaning, meaning because, of, of course, Dolores is the mother of exiles. She is all of these hosts. And she's the one who brought Bernard out. Oh, now here's. Uh, sorry, her, her, her name was Clementine Pennyfeather. Ah, son of. I knew it was like this floral, fruity kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I actually hope they managed to somehow bring her back. I always thought she was. She just added this sort of vibe to whatever scenes that she was in that I I thought was, I don't know. It always kept me, I, I, I was always looking for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And then with the way that they took her character later, I thought was interesting. Um, but anyway, here's the thing. I think that the idea of the grafting of personalities, you know, the, the grafting of the original Charlotte Hale onto the, the Dolores that is now controlling that host uh, charlotte hale host Mm -hmm. i don't know man i think there's actually a couple different things like i wonder which version of dolores this is yeah like are we dealing with dolores version one like the simple farm girl who like was you know at beginning of season one are we dealing with the dolores version two at the end of season one are we dealing with dolores version three or are they all just equal to where Dolores is now? Well, and, I think and, and I think they're previous versions, and 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 they very well could be. But and don't forget too that embedded in Dolores is Wyatt. True. So Which so I, now you're dealing with like possibly three personalities. 
because you've got the <sighs> the Dolores Wyatt thing going on, and then the host that they're that that they're impersonating, and and yeah. whatever data. But the has funny been kind of the thing is, them. at what point in that evolution? Because I think Dolores has embraced the Wyatt personality in her current art incarnation, mm-hmm. as opposed to that uncomfortableness of not understanding where that is. And I think that might that's to me, that's why Charlotte was kind of hurting herself and was very uncomfortable in being Charlotte. Yeah. Was because it's a prior version of Dolores who who has that duality already going on. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And it's again, just flip everything freaking upside down. And now I know nothing. But it, it does make sense that, you know, she is the mother of this, you know, this these exiles from Westworld who are now exiles in this new world. Well, and and you know that's a big re- you know a, a big revelation because it, it again it, it messes with your preconceptions of how you thought the story was going to play out because you, you thought it was going to be her and a band of yeah you know her you know not supporters but but people who supported her um, mm-hmm. you know Maeve I would have put in that group too because I think Maeve was was at some point part of that you know she Maeve wasn't fighting against Dolores and Westworld she in a lot of ways was was you know kind of I, on the same page to some degree well i think it was in it was the old you know the the enemy of my enemy mm-hmm. is my friend right sort of thing right and it was a very uncomfortable sort of thing because they both understood they were both in that same position they were both way above everybody else they'd figured it out and were way above all the other hosts in terms of knowing what was going on right. they were operating on a different level mm-hmm um, and so they they kind of make natural rivals as well as natural allies at times, right? Almost like in a Sherlock Holmes sort of Moriarty but, sort of thing. Yeah, but 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 they're they're both kind of on a similar path in terms of wanting to break out of their loops, break out of the yeah. park, break out of whatever chains that they are in. Um, and and I don't recall, maybe I'm forgetting, but I don't really recall them being conflicted in uh, against one another in season two I, I i think their arcs may have gone in different directions not you know directly working together yeah but it seemed like i mean the interesting thing with mave is she's the character who was about to get on that train to leave the park and chose to mm-hmm. stay mm-hmm. like exercise her free will to stay and to you know get her daughter and see her daughter through to a better place and sacrifice herself for it Mm-hmm. You know, and and that was different from where Dolores was. Dolores did not want to sacrifice herself. She wanted to get out. She wanted to get into the real world, mm-hmm. um, and she wanted to to live her life in that real world. And so it's it's interesting. You know, I, I made I made mention to you this week that I think in some ways the revelation that all of these pearls are Dolores in some ways points to now the weakness of Dolores, which is as much as she is using herself as her greatest ally uh, in this, it also is her, her greatest weakness because she can't seem to rely on anyone but herself. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she, she pulls people in that will help her, but at the end of the day, is she going to be loyal to them? Is she going to, you know, is, is she truly trying to help people or, or, or for example, Caleb, is she, is she really interested in helping him or using him to, get to her you know the ends for 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 what she's looking to do yeah i think you can make that same that same point about mave i mean she wants to get her daughter and i think she wanted to to help other hosts in order to to help her daughter but right now Mm -hmm. 
I mean, uh, I, I think she's. I think she is another another character that would sacrifice others if if they get in the way. Yeah, that's fair. They're going down. That's they're fair. Going, they're going down. You know. Yeah. Yep. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Of course. I mean, the other thing is, you know, this idea that that Bernard and Stubbs were were, you know, they 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 missed the mark. They they thought it was going to be the rich kid who was replaced, and oops, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny because, in a way, it's kind of foreshadowed in in the way that they try to get at this kid. Like, oh, how did you find out where he's going? You can't get that information. No, but I can talk to his. You know, I can find out the system that is getting his car. Mm-hmm. You know, so through that, I found out about this. Well, it's the same thing that Dolores is doing. Like, I'm not going to try and replace him. I'm going to get the bodyguard. Yeah. Yep. Almost acknowledging, like, the bodyguard is is almost going to be as powerful as this guy because anyone who is that rich and powerful like there's always somebody who is it's almost like the pepper Potts tony stark thing when mm-hmm. uh, when when it's like do you know your social security number mm-hmm. she knows all that stuff he doesn't know that right she's the one who does all the stuff for him and it's that sort of that same sort of paradigm of the bodyguard is really the one running the show well and and what's kind of odd and, and i go back to the thing we talked about in episode three what's interesting about the exchange he has with um what is his character? Liam. Oh, his name is uh, Liam. Connells. Yeah. So, so Connells is, yeah, Connells is the bodyguard. And then there's Liam Dempsey Jr. Who is the son yeah. of Liam Dempsey, who, who mm-hmm. is the guy who died in episode one. So what's interesting about their exchanges, you know, Connells comes up to him and, and wants, you know, needs him to, I don't know, do his thumbprint or whatever to, to transfer funds for whatever he's about to go do and of course connell's who is really dolores uses that to transfer all of his money so that he has nothing what again what's interesting is if that is the if that is the dolores personality and maybe it goes back to your explanation about uploading past information how how does that host know about this you know what i mean like like there, there clearly is some context that's being set within each of these hosts that dolores couldn't possibly know about but yet she has the knowledge of you know, as as she represents these different characters, you know, uh, Sato and and Connells and so forth. There, there's there's some context of the person that she is inside and and faking being. You know what I well, mean? Well, didn't she talk about Connells being in the park? Like when when she when she takes him down in the park mm-hmm. and in the like at at the end of what was it two or one? No, it was the end of one. It was the end of one. Yeah, when she shoots him, yep. and she talks about him having gone to Westworld. Oh, so again, you think it's something to do with that? I think that I think there's some sort of information that that is that she is she is able to get to. Now, the other thing that I want to know, and I I don't I don't think I've missed this, but this little personal assistant, little like the the little clip on her ear thing that is like doing all of this stuff for her, mm-hmm. which honestly is. Freaking brilliant by the writers. Mm-hmm. I will say this, as just a because we kind of just automatically understand it, like oh, this is like her personal virtual personal assistant kind of thing, right? And doing all of this stuff for her, um, and and living in this world where that's sort of a thing that happens. Oh man, it just, it, I just I just love the fact that that is a thing because it shortcuts so much stuff. Um, it does, it does. But but just this idea of like these 
this information is there for her to access. Right. And and where is she? Where is that information stored? Is it stored inside of her own pearl, or does she manage to get like this other AI and transfer it out somewhere? Or because I mean, there's a whole lot of information that she's carrying around. Apparently, mm-hmm. she has the key to to all of this data that's been transmit uploaded to the satellite, and then she has this grand plan of hers and you know well, all and this other stuff's like well she, she she seems to have access to the systems that are involved with you know just doing everyday life sort of things you know yeah and so is she tied do you think she's tied into Rhea Boehm somehow um that's what I'm starting to worry one worry yeah I'm worried no I'm wondering about well Rhea Boehm is the AI for determining you know, if life is progressing in the or humanity is progressing in a controlled direction, I don't know that that's tied into the the systems that run other aspects of life. You know what I mean, like booking taxis well, or booking hotels or, you know what well, I mean. Wouldn't like, it? Well, I mean, but it, it, not directly, but like it, like it's it's not Big Brother in the sense that it's tracking people. I guess it, it's. I mean, it is and it isn't. You know, it's like I don't get the sense that it's it's tracking like everyone's movements exactly, but I think it's tracking other aspects of their life but but yeah maybe maybe it is that she has access to it it seems like that's one of the things she's trying to get though you know what i mean that's why i'm hesitant to say that she does because it seems like part of her reason to get close to liam and to her body and and to his bodyguard is because she's trying to attain that you know and i wonder if it's almost like second or third hand removed Almost like yeah. Bernard getting the 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 information of where this guy's going to be from the the driver, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, company or whatever. She knows that the information is getting uploaded, and so she's kind of siphoning off some of the the secondary mm-hmm. information that is available. But she wants access to the to the the whole enchilada, right? You right. Know? Well, that's what and, I'm kind of wondering about. Yeah, and 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 like Maeve, I mean, she yeah, she clearly has some control or some ability to access things through this this clip on her ear you know the these other mm-hmm. means where she's able to you know to kind of, to kind of make things happen for herself in real time i'm not sure if that's just a factor of the of the culture that she's you know living in or if that's just a shortcut that she's able to now do because of who she is because mave of course as we see her in the episode she has that whole remote control thing going on where she's able to really tap into any sort of tech that anyone's using she's able to to get into it and remotely control it to do her will um yeah. as as we saw her you know when she invades that the the yakuza mob you know she goes in yeah. there and she's she takes control of all their weapons because all their weapons are you know controlled by technology so mm-hmm. she's able to get them to shoot each other and you know make her way to the boss but then again you know she gets to see the boss and it's the same character that was in um, not Westworld, but Samurai World, or whatever we want to call it. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been calling it East World. East World. Um, <laughs> I just, I, it, it worked out great until all of a sudden there's dragons. I'm like, all right, so it was at North World. Crap, this fell apart quick. <laughs> North World is where Jon Snow is from uh, Game of Thrones. But um, oh, I thought you were going to say Al Snow. No, 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 th- no. That's that's a character from Game of Thrones. So. What does everybody want? Oh, oh good exactly. lord! I know. Um, hey, we got an Al Snow reference. I mean, come on. Uh, there we go. Cheap pop. Two thumbs absolutely. up. You know me. You know me from last week. Hell, you know me from before. Shut up, Al. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, yeah. But you, you know, and, and she makes her way to Sato, and we find out Sato is, is, you know, again a host from Westworld who has been replicated in the real world and is and is you know running a Dolores Pearl. So it's Dolores, and you know he deals with Maeve. Um, Violently. Sato is Aldolores. 
Finkel was Einhorn. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, it just it, it it really was well done the the way they revealed that toward the end of the oh, episode, yeah. where you start to see how Dolores has, you know, kind of cast her web and and oh, really has. So good. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. So good. Fantastic. <laughs> so, it, and, and I'm not trying to underplay what Maeve is doing. Maeve is in with Serac. She's trying to determine. Um, Actually, I, I'm forgetting now. What what was she looking for? So Serac sets her toward the the Japanese mob, but I forget why. Like who, she she went to see this one character to find out what was she looking for. Oh, she she was looking for how I think Dolores got the IDs or something like that for for the. Well, new yeah, characters. she's tr- she's trying to track down Dolores. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and so, so here's the thing. Now, this is why I say uh, even even with the revelation that all you know that that Ciroc is real. What is really real in this world? No escape from re- No, God, please, no! Like, yeah, 95%, I'm willing to say, okay, yeah, it's probably not. But there is a distinct chance, and again, we are recording this as Eastern Standard Time right now, at this very moment, mm-hmm. is 10.47 p.m. on Sunday. I believe the episode starts at 10. Yep. There's a damn good chance that as as of right now, that theory has been debunked uh-huh. in this episode. Uh, it very <laughs> we well have, could be. Very well I could mean, be. No idea what the hell is just is happening in this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I I mean there is a, still a chance because with Maeve being able to control these things, it seems awfully familiar. Mm-hmm. Awfully familiar. That's to very true. Back in the Westworld when she was able to do that, and then even after she realized that, oh, this is a construct, and then was able to ma- manipulate that. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know. I don't put anything past these folks. Yeah. I really don't. That's that, that, that's a good point. I mean, m- maybe what we saw with Maeve was a test by Serac to see if she's finally in with him in terms of, of taking down Dolores. You know, because when, yeah. when, when we see Maeve, when she's left, sorry, the, the last we see her, she has left in a bloody pool, basically dying. Um, yeah. I mean, Sato has pretty much done her, or Dolores has pretty much done her in as Sato. Um, mm-hmm. and Which, and then all that stuff that's that's leaking out. So this is supposed to be like a whiskey refinery. Mm-hmm. And it ain't. It looks awfully familiar to the stuff that's in those cradles when mm-hmm. they're making their themselves the new hopes. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Man. I know, <sighs> I know. I, my brain hurts, man. It's I'm scared. crazy. <laughs> Crazy! I think my I think my head just might explode with this. Ne- <laughs> I feel like I feel like I should really be you know getting my affairs in order for the for the end of this episode for the end of this season because who knows what's going to happen? I might just be in a corner just yeah. You know, by, by the end of this, it's insane how good this is and how insane insane how disorienting it is, but yet how you don't get discouraged in the disorientation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, oh man, so good. So good. Uh, and that's not a Sweet Caroline reference. That's just my gushing about this. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, where, where I mean, so the, do we even want to speculate or do do we, if we, because if we speculate, there's a good chance it will look like complete idiots by the time this is up on Friday. Speculate about? <laughs> what the hell is going to happen next? Well, I think we have two more things we got to go through. One is Sir, what's revealed about Sirach, and the other yes. is about the man in black. Okay, so 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 so, so Ciroc is kind of short and sweet because because what we see with Ciroc again, if we take what we see at face value, mm-hmm. is that he is motivated by something has happened in the past 
with Paris going up to uh, basically in smoke yes. with a nuclear bomb. Yes. Um, that basically gets him motivated to determine how can human life be controlled to a degree so that there are no out-of-control factors moving forward and that humanity can progress along in a somewhat controlled path. Mm-hmm. And that is what he th- – that's where the idea for this Rehoboam system comes from, is, is that tragedy that he has lived through. Mm-hmm. And we find out that that is what has motivated him. Yet at the same time, he clearly has this sort of mindset that only he knows what is the right path. Oh, yeah. And that's where he kind of goes from being a character that you can relate to in terms of wanting to try to, to you know, control or, or I, I don't mean to say relate to in the sense that we want life controlled, but I think we would all like life to be peaceful, to be something where we can achieve, where we can grow, where we can become who we're meant to be and not have a lot of out of controlness in our lives. You know, I think in this country we're very fortunate in some ways, although right now we're living through a period of some out of control, you know, factors going on. Yeah. Um, and it's kind I of the first goes, time we've done that, it, you know, or, or have had to live through that in this sort of manner. So, yeah, I think you could even take it more general than that. Like the fact that in a lot of cases, I think it's almost human nature. Like we see someone do something like, well, I could have done better than that. That that Monday morning quarterback mm-hmm. sort of thing of, well, I would have made the better decision there. I would have done this differently. I would have done this. And I think that that's it, it comes down to that whole idea of like the best villains, the best written villains are the ones who believe that they are right mm-hmm. and that they are the good guy. Right. Right. They think they're the good guy in the story. Right. And that's what makes them such a great bad guy because they are fully committed mm-hmm. and believe in what they're doing. And this dude totally buys in on that. And they gave him a great backstory, which is, again, another like, well, wait, what? Oh, Paris gone? Okay. Well, and now what? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, hearing you say that, I mean, in a lot of ways, it reflects what Marvel did with Thanos, right? I mean, Thanos. Yes. Yeah. Thanos in Infinity War. As much as he is a bad guy in the sense that he's going against the Avengers, you you get to understand his thinking to some degree because he's dealing with a a very real problem, which is the the universe. I mean, we in reality can't say this in in, in the movie world, you know, in the Marvel universe, they can say it. But but the universe is finite. You know, yeah. I, I don't know that I agree with that in the real world because it, the universe to me feels very infinite. But. Mm-hmm. But from from that character's perspective, the universe has a finite amount of resources for the living beings that exist. And so his mission is to eliminate half of them to at least keep things under control. Again, like Sarek, right? Sarek is mm-hmm. trying to keep control of humanity so that it doesn't go off the rails and annihilate itself. And yeah. and in the same way, isn't looking for it as a glory thing like, oh, I want to be right. congratulated. Like this is just his mission. And, the, and right. Sarek is the same sort of way. Right, and, and and similar to Thanos with Serac, there is this belief, though, that they simply know best yes. when there could always be another way. Mm-hmm. And it, and he doesn't seem like he's someone who can be reasoned with no. from, from, from that degree because he believes so strongly that that he and only he possesses the answer. Yeah, yeah. And in, in Thanos' case, it's because, you know, with that infinity gauntlet, he can just you know turn anyone into a grease stain or just unexist them. Right. 
right. anytime he wants. And in, and in Ciroc's case, I mean, he can buy anything and do anything that he wants. Mm-hmm. And that absolute power is is a frightening thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, especially for someone who has who fancies himself a a know it all megalomaniac. Right. Right. Scary. Mm-hmm. And so, what was the other point? I, I forgot completely uh, the, what it was. The, now. Uh, the the last one is the man in black. Yes. Oh my gosh. How do we get that? This is, oh man. We save the best for last, man. Oh. We save the best for last. Dude, I mean, there's no way that number one, Ed Harris. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, good lord, he's good. Um, but the fact that you can make someone so despicable, mm-hmm. and yet so vulnerable at the end of the episode where you actually i mean of all the horrible things that this guy has done and said and and the, the horrible things that he's wanted to do mm-hmm. and hasn't been able to do yeah and you feel bad for him mm-hmm. at the end of this like you feel bad for where he ends up right right and he looks i mean just the fact that he goes from being so powerful and just always in control and then at the end of that episode you've never seen this guy like this just broken mm mm-hmm. mhm Oh, well, so so good. Such great acting from Ed Harris. Oh, yeah. Oh and, and and what's funny, what's interesting about his character is, you know, you say he's in control. He was in control in a controlled world. Yes. You know, he, he was he was a boss in Westworld because. Well, even even in the in the in the real world, I mean, he was head of this, you know, of this corporation. Yes. So, I mean, he was he was in control there, but I mean, yes, in 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 the in that controlled world, oh my gosh, yeah, he was, he but, was a god amongst, you know, insects. Well, that that's what I was going to say. There was a certainty about the way he carried himself in Westworld. He he knew the parameters, he knew the rules, he knew what could and could not happen. And he existed and lived in that world to to an extreme. And mm-hmm. the the same, yes, he was successful in the real world, but we don't know we don't really have a big glimpse of who he is or was in in this real world. You know what I mean? Like, oh we, yeah, we we have a perception of him, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that perception is, you know, equates to what what he was. You know, the character we've seen in Westworld, because again, yeah, he was good point. he was very in control. He was very, you know, he he knew because he just was so familiar with with the game and how the park worked. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think any of us in in his position would would walk around with a great deal of confidence on our shoulders because we I mean it's it's the same thing when you play a video game right you go yep. into a certain part of the game that you know really well that you can predict that you know the pattern of and you play it with you know a reckless abandon because you you kind of know the moves and things you need to do to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish you know to move on to the next part but as soon as you go to yeah. a new level and you're not as familiar with it well, now you're not quite sure how you're supposed to move forward. You're not as confident. And, you know, you, you get your tail kicked a bunch until you figure it out, you know. Yes. And and I think that's kind of where he's at right now in terms of his character is he's back in the real world. I have I, I mean, I, I'm going to throw out a, a speculative theory here. He, he keeps having these visions of his daughter who, in yes. you know, again, in season oh. two, he he ends up killing his daughter because he thinks he's convinced she's a host. He he's he's yes. basically unraveling because he doesn't know what's real and what's not real anymore. Yep. But I have a theory that the visions he's seeing of his daughter, the visions he's seeing of Dolores, just because those glasses that go on someone's face that we've seen twice now, one once on Charlotte and once on the father in the first episode, produces Well, three times. Three or three times because then there's the dude who's getting uh getting tortured slash yes, interrogated by Ciroc. Yes. 
Those are glasses. There's also a concept of contact lenses, right? Yeah, and actually four times now because there's also the lady in the, the, the mortician. Yes, yes. I'm, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. You know yeah. where I'm going? I, I'm thinking the visions he's seeing are something Dolores is doing to him through these contact lenses that are essentially like those virtual glasses. Like he's not really seeing his daughter. He is simply reliving or, or living with the, the, the memory of what he did. Um, especially at the end when he's finally been committed and you see Dolores approaching him and telling him, you know, that, that the game is, has just begun or something like that. Yeah. You have to wonder if that's her, you know, just taking control of him at this point. Yeah. Or through, through, through this virtual thing that, that produces these visions, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or are we heading into Battlestar Galactica territory and we're dealing with angels of light? Mm Mm-hmm. In which case, I think Trisha Helfer and James Callis need to sue somebody. Um, <laughs> no more Mr. Nice Guys! Uh, but <laughs> Good yeah. stuff. Oh my gosh, that yeah, and, and, and that ending of that episode, I'm just like, okay. I, I didn't think I knew anything before. Now I really don't know anything. Right, right. And, and oh my gosh. And, and his character, I mean, it, when you look at the episode, his character really does just, just one thing. I mean, he he is i mean we don't know how he got back to his house because the last time we saw him he was shot mm-hmm. and he was stumbling around somewhere near where that it's not the i don't know if it was the forge where wherever dolores went to to get the 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 code of, of human existence or whatever mm-hmm. um he was near that 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 building and we you know and if you remember right he goes into it goes down and then somehow he's in this it almost looks like in the future, you know, it's not, it's not the same time period that we came from in season two. It's very screwed up. Mm-hmm. And that's when he has the fidelity test that kind of gives us a sense of, well, crap, is he a host now? What's going on here? He's at his I'm home. I have to go back and look at that now. Cause I'm, I'm, I can't remember that. Oh yeah. It's, it's, oh it, my gosh. his, his character ends on a very, very screwed up note. And you, you don't know how, I mean, when we see him in that house, we don't know how he got there. Yeah. So so we start there. He has these visions. He talks with Charlotte. You know, she's trying to get him to, you know, basically ha- get the board to vote to, to, you know, not be taken over by Ciroc. But all of this is really a play by Dolores to get him to a place where he's just going insane, where yeah. he sees these visions so that she can get him committed and, and basically get control of his shares so that she can then vote the way she needs the vote to go in order to block Ciroc from taking Delos. Yeah. And Which raises the question, did he ever leave Westworld? Well, that's a great point. We don't know. That that's a thing. <laughs> we we don't My God, man, you're <laughs> killing me. You're killing me, Smalls. How deep does this go? Oh gosh, it's like a maze and a mystery and an enigma and a in a box of some sort. Open it, please. Thank you. Thank you, Shatner. We appreciate appreciate you going full shat on that. I, I really do. <laughs> Bones, help me. Bones. I can't tell reality from fiction. I did really appreciate that when Chris Pine went full on full on shat in one of the start new Star Trek movies. Bones. <laughs> the way he said it, I'm like, oh my gosh. He just went he went to eleven on the Shatner meter. All right, oh I think gosh. we've 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 talked in and around well, this, and we could probably. I talked a lot about man. Back. In, uh, sorry, I, I talked a lot about man in black. Did you have anything 
to, to throw out on that? No, Sorry. man. I, I have I've got nothing. I've I'm so confused at this point. I could go back and refute half of the points that I made in this episode <laughs> based on what we've talked about. <laughs> I'm I am so like just dizzy with this with this thing but i just i am committed to see again it feels like watchmen because every time i finish an episode i'm like i i i know nothing i i know less than when i started mm-hmm. this episode mm-hmm. i thought i was going to figure some stuff out and i didn't i know i actually feel like i i somehow lost information i don't know how that happened we started this episode trying to talk through these episodes and we got through them and now we're even more confused and befuddled than i think when we before we started <laughs> Which, quite honestly, if you look at the title of this show, you should have seen this one coming. So I, I apologize for nothing. All right. Well, you know. And on that note, let's move on to And Another Thing. And Another Thing. So, sir, why don't you go first with your And Another Thing for this week? Because uh, I, I, I want to smell what you're cooking here. Uh, well, it's it's funny you phrase it that way. Uh, because my And Another Thing is, is uh, you know, I'm not a shill for this product. Uh, I'm not getting any sort of kickback for saying this. I'm simply a happy consumer who has used a wonderful, wonderful piece of equipment called the Fuego Grill. Which is exactly what a shill would say if they're trying to cover it up. Well, you know, it's it's Westworld, which is you know a mystery wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a box, wrapped in wrapped. I'm going full paper. on conspiracy now for everything. Yeah. That's just my default. That's right. Now. That's right. You're Dolores. Um, so <laughs> you might be. So Are you Dolores. That's right. Uh, Are you Markinson? So to, to you know today, uh, as I mentioned, we we did a, a nice Easter dinner of uh, burgers and brats, and uh, mm-hmm. you know it's just you know it's April now. It's starting to warm a little bit. Uh, it's <laughs> and a very little bit. And by, and by warm, I mean you know it's like seventy one day, and then it's like forty the next. So it's no longer butt chapping cold every <laughs> single day. So it's time to celebrate. <laughs> So uh, yeah, you know, so I, I'm just kind of throwing that out as as just it's it, it's it's a neat story behind it. Uh, as I was explaining to you before the show, um, it was designed by a de- a designer from Apple. I I don't have his name, but um, but basically it it was born out of the idea of uh, living in you know California condos with small patios and having a space efficient sort of get, you know propane gas grill. So it's a very cylindrically uh, designed um, you know efficient you know space efficient model that that just fits on small patios and it looks like a droid just go ahead it, and say it, it looks, looks like a star wars it droid. does look like a star wars droid when you look at it um no doubt about it but but the neat part about it is they found you know he found a way through the design to have the cooking surface still be um the kind where you could cook you know i, I can cook usually up to about uh i think eight or nine maybe 10 burgers on that surface. Um, wow, I, that's pretty good. Yeah, I have the 24-inch version, so so I have a lot of cooking surface. Neat part is they also sell um, extension pieces to it, so I actually have uh, – I can take the grill off of it and put a basically a, 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 a cast iron um, plate on top, which essentially Ooh. you can do like uh, pancakes or you can do, you know, like griddle-type cooking um, if you want to put some skirt steak and some peppers on there and cook it up that way on like a skillet. Um, nice. Oh yeah, so so it just it it's a really neat brand, multi-purpose, multi-purpose, uh, you know, quality brand. Uh, fires up to like four hundred degrees in like five minutes and maintains the heat really well. Cooks the, I, I mean, 
the the like when I cook the meat, it 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 cooks so much better now than on my prior grill. Um, you know, because I think of the the again the design and the heat efficiency of it. So, anyways, it's just you know as we get into grilling season, if you're looking for uh, a, a potential style and and you and you're not looking for the big boat type of a grill, uh, you may want to uh, take take a look at uh, the R two D two of grills. <laughs> Well, and that's one of the things that does annoy me about grills, and I struggled with this when I was trying to find a new grill last year, was you have some grills that are that are entirely too small. You look at the thing and you're like, I can cook maybe three burgers and a bun on that, mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. And they're just microscopic. You'll, you might as well get a camping grill or a hibachi. Yes. And then you get these other grills that are like Grillzilla. Like, you could cook 800 pounds of meat, and, and yet you know you're going to fire it up for like, at most, like eight or nine burgers at once, mm-hmm, really. Mm-hmm. There might be like one or two occasions when you need to cook all that meat, and the rest of the time you're just wasting gas right. to make like right. three or four burgers. Right. So I went through that thing, and it's like I you sent me a picture of it, and I'm like, that's about that's a manageable size. Mm-hmm. That is a manageable size, and it still is a lot of cooking surface. So it does kind of look cool. I'll I'll consider it for the next time that my grill rots out because that's what happens with mine. Yeah, I, I I mean I I, I went can't from, keep a grill. I I went from having the stretch limo of grills. I, I had a a dual. Uh, I was a gas grill, and then I had a second grill chamber that was a smoker. Oh, uh, and then when, one of them. And then when I moved to uh, we we live in a town of association, so when I moved here, uh, charcoal was banned uh, about the next year. So I ha- I couldn't really do smoking anymore, and so I just went with a, a trimmer model that uh, gets the job done. Very very. Nice. So that is my and another thing. Well, I'm gonna actually take a page out of your book. <laughs> oh, look what you did there. Yeah, and I'm gonna try and go a little more literary. So I'm getting tired of sh- being shown up by you. Is what it really is. <laughs> I'm really getting tired of. Of looking like an illiterate fool. You want to play the intellectual game with me? Well, let's 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 have at it. I do, and I'm going to do that with a comic book. So, <laughs> uh, I love it. Go, you know, please, please. It's, it's it's the way I fight. I fight dirty and and goofy. What's that? What's that line from Rocky you do with Apollo Creed? <laughs> the the Italian stallion against the Italian stallion versus the <laughs> versus the Apollo Creed. Sounds like a damn monster movie. <laughs> You're, you're, thank you're, you, you're, thank you. You're taking me you. on with a comic book. I love it. Go for it, please. Go. Mendo. Anyways, so uh, for whatever reason, I I bought this uh, a while ago, and for whatever reason, it sat on my shelf, and I have not gotten into it. I found myself finishing up my um, the previous book that I was reading, which is a. Uh, the David Halberstam book that I mentioned in our last episode, I think. Mm. And I was searching around for books because I was this whole pandemic thing caught me woefully unprepared in my to-read pile. And I had nothing really ready to go. I yeah. usually finish one book and I'm, I have another one ready to go that I've been thinking about getting to. And I had nothing. And so I was going to start rereading another book or something. And then I realized, oh, I've got this, this book that I bought a while ago that I have not read. Uh, so this is V for Vendetta. This is the original graphic novel nice. by Alan Moore and David Lloyd with uh, Steve Whitaker and Saban Dodds. And it's I always really liked the movie, uh, the Natalie Portman. Um, I think it's uh, James McTeague is the director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it was the Wachowskis who actually wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. for this, which I, I did not know uh, until I looked this up here. Of course, Hugo Weaving is the... You know, plays V, and then you have Natalie Portman as Evie, and uh, a whole a great cast. And um, 
I always really liked the movie. I thought it was a great movie. And then a friend of mine had recommended, well, if you like the movie, you really ought to read the graphic novel. Mm. I was like, all right, fine. And then on, you know, bought it online one night because, you know, that's what you do late at night when you're up. And so it's been sitting on my shelf. And I started reading it the other day. And, man, it is very different than the movie. Yeah. Uh, in terms of story and the way that things go in the story and, and some along the lines of Watchmen. Like, it was very much a product of its time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... I, I totally understand the way that they updated it for the movie. It makes a lot of sense the way they did. They changed things for the movie. And the good thing about that is I can appreciate the original graphic novel or comics or, or the issues that comprise the graphic novel sort of the same way that I do with Watchmen. Mm. I can appreciate the original material and I can also appreciate the interpretation of the material mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they are very different. They're almost so different that you're like, this is. they really are two different things. Yeah. You know, to to make it work for screen, and to and and what works on print doesn't work necessarily on screen the exact same way. Right. And uh, but man, it is, it is one of those things where I read it and it asks a lot of questions that are similar to what we're asking in Westworld. Like, what is real? What is, what is freedom? What is you know? How does the world work? And what how is the world structured for you? And things like that. A whole lot of those questions are being asked in this book. So I feel like I'm getting a double dose of this talking about Westworld and then also reading this. You're going to be a paranoid yeah. nut at some point, man. Oh, I, <laughs> I got to find some real light to read next because this is, this is, this is a little too much, uh, a little too taxing for me. You know, you when, all this, when, 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 when all this quarantine stuff ends and, and, I'm, and I'm able to travel again and I head out your way and show up at your front door, you're going to punch me in the head like, you're not really there. Uh, but it is a great it is a great read and is very interesting. It's very well done and uh, and again, if you like the movie, mm-hmm. I think it's it's derivative enough of the original material that you can appreciate them separately. Yeah, and then you can also look at the differences and go, oh, that's kind of cool and this and that. There's a lot of different stuff in there, but it is really well done and it is it is a classic and it is one of those examples like Watchmen of of where a graphic novel is is truly on par with. With other novels that are are, are just you know, your standard garden variety novels, nice uh, and and should be appreciated as such as being in t- uh, being very important uh, in a literary sense. So I highly recommend that uh, to go check it out of your library, go uh, buy a copy. However you manage to get a hold of it, it's well worth your time. Mm-hmm. So we thank you once again for for tuning in here on the interwebs and and listening. Uh, once again, please uh, make sure you subscribe and uh, and check us out on social medias. Follow us there. Uh, we do lots of funny stuff. No, we don't. We just uh, we goof around. And uh, you can find us on Twitter and, and Facebook and all that stuff. And we'll post stuff there. And uh, we just really appreciate you all listening. And if you have made it this far in the episode, uh, salute and, uh, and chin chin to you. Uh, salute. We appreciate it. And uh, once again, I- I'm going to hand this off. I'm going to hand this off to the man they call Tim. They call him Tim for a good reason, because that's his name. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, kind of born with it. <laughs> I got nothing. My brain, my brain is a pool inside of my cranium right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for this, and this is why I'm handing it off to him because I got nothing. I got nothing left. I need you. I need you to carry this. I'm like Ty Webb at the end of Caddyshack. Mm-hmm. I'm. I, I need you to carry me home, Noonan. Take it from here. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we we we've basically talked ourselves into circles on Westworld. Um, mm-hmm. It is it 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 is a an, an enigma 
wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in a box, wrapped in wrapping paper, and we're just trying to figure out where the wrapping paper came from. But, you know, overall, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're about halfway through the season. We're still not quite sure what the heck is going on, but 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 we like but we like what we're seeing. You know, it's just one of those things. You like what you see, but you don't fully understand. <laughs> but I'm sure by the end of the season, we're going to be like, oh my goodness gracious, what geniuses they were, um, mm-hmm. as 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 is normally the case with these seasons. You know, we're we're heading into week five of lockdown. Be good to each other. You know, be safe. To just to just take one TP, you know what I mean. Leave 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 some for for others. And here I will I will actually I will interrupt you please. during your your outro for the first time. Well, not first time ever, but please significantly for the first time ever. I will post this in the show notes. There's actually a good reason for the toilet paper shortage, and it has very little to do with hoarding. Oh, what does that have to do with it? It has to do with supply chain and the fact that there are two distinct supply chains. <laughs> for toilet paper there is residential which you get for your houses Mm -hmm. and then there's commercial Mm -hmm. and they do not intersect really at all Ah. the the same companies do not play in both areas okay and so there's a there's a there's a shortage on the residential because they've actually figured this out folks they figured out people will use 40 percent more toilet paper by being home because they ain't pooping at work (laughs) well school the numbers don't lie And so you need that on the residential side. And then oh, on the commercial side, goodness. you have a surplus because people aren't there. Well, the problem is, think about when you go to work. you got that big old roll in there. You can't take that mm-hmm. and bring it home. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that – and I'll, I'll post the article on this. But basically, toilet paper factories apparently work at 100% all the time because it's pretty much a static demand mm. normally. Yeah, yeah. But it ain't now. Uh-huh. Now things have shifted. And so you have this this outsized demand on one side, and then it's decreased on the other side. And Interesting. switching over costs money. Interesting. So anyways, it, it's not necessarily because people are hoarding. Now, some people are definitely hoarding. Some people are making an, a toilet paper igloo, and they need to stop. <laughs> but even if, even if everyone just kind of went about their business, it would still probably be somewhat of an issue. All right. Anyways, that is my, that is my one interruption. Please, sir. Proceed. Thank you, brother Todd, for dropping the knowledge. On I'm glad I, I'm glad I could just remember all on, of that. On, on, like I said, I'm a puddle on the TP. Um, but 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 you know, baking goods. How many pancakes does one really need to make? Leave some flour for another. You know what I mean? Hey hey hey. Leave hey, some hey, baking so for another. Don't don't you judge me? Don't be <laughs> very judged right now. I always. I'll eat as many damn pancakes as I want to. I, I go to the grocery store, I walk the baking aisle, and I'm like, really, no flour at all. What the heck are people baking, and why do they need to bake so much of it? Anyways. Don't, the, don't you stay out of my personal affairs. <laughs> what I need you to do. You're leaving the grocery store. You got, you got white powder all over you. <laughs> Chancho, I need to borrow your sweats. I need, I need the sweats. Oh, my gosh. But in the end... Uh, as we've been talking the last few weeks, uh, be good to one another, be safe, be healthy, and please, above all else, please remember to turn the lights on the way out. I got the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon, what did you say? Damn! You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out! I don't come back! Till you've yourselves. So say we all. So say we all. 
I mean, that really got out of hand fast. <laughs> that, 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 that was fantastic. I love that. <laughs> oh, do, do you want me to stop my recording? <laughs>